Good morning, church. I am excited about being with you in whatever manner or method we are able. I am excited about what the Lord has laid on my heart, and it's always awesome to be able to, to teach out of, out of the overflow of what God is, is, is doing or trying to do in me. So this morning, um, that's what I want to share. I uh, was listening to a, 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 an older pastor, a pastor from years back, and uh, he was going through a psalm that I had never really touched on, and I'm telling you, it really began to speak to me as far as where we are and who we are as individuals, as a church, and in the time that we find ourselves in. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and make your way to the 77th chapter of the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalms 77 this morning. Now, I want to give you just a little bit of, of, of intro, all right? Put this in a box for you. Uh, this particular song is written by uh, Asaph, all right? Now, whether or not it was the words and the feelings of Asaph or if it was the words and the feelings of David recorded by Asaph, we don't know. All right, we're not sure. It's either the words of Asaph or it's David's words being recorded by Asaph. He was the minister of, of music or the one that, that did things like our ministers of music do now back in, 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 in David's time. He would have been David's worship pastor, so to speak, the director of the choir, all right, of the angelic singers, all right, back in David's time. And so that's who's writing here. And in this particular psalm, what we have is it's kind of in three parts, all right? And we're going to touch on all three of those parts. We see the feelings and, and the emotions and the reality of where the writer is in, in the first section. Now, in the second section, we see where the writer actually ends up. We see how he comes around on his feelings. And then in the final section, we actually are taken kind of into his mind to see how he got from where he was to where he ended up. So in order for us to do this in order, we actually need to do section one or, or a part of section one and then jump to section three, all right, and, and see how he got where he was going, and then we'll see where he landed there in the middle. So Psalm 77, all right, and in this time of, of uncertainty, in this time of insecurity, in this time where we are all working through a massive range of emotions, a massive range of feelings, a lot of questions, and questions that actually have no answers sometimes. We find ourselves financially uncertain, spiritually uncertain, physically uncertain, emotionally uncertain, and, and we're starting to wonder how we can keep our, our focus, how we can keep our foundation. So I want to begin here by reading verses 7, 8, and 9 of, of, of this Psalm 77. Will the Lord reject forever? 
Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? I don't know about you, but I am certain that there are people in America, in Jessamine County, in Kentucky, in the world today who are going, did God forget about me? Did God forget about the bills that I need to pay? Did God forget that I find my worth in my job? Did God forget about my family? Did God forget about the, these health care workers and, and these troops that are being called in to, to serve right here at home? Did God forget us? Did, did, did His mercy go away? It is obvious that the writer of this psalm is experiencing an intense amount of, of despair. He is perhaps overcome by doubt. He is perhaps overcome by fear. He is perhaps literally overwhelmed by his emotions and by his lack of understanding about how this is playing out and, and where God is. Now, maybe you have, or maybe you haven't felt that way. But from seeing uh, what people are, are writing, from hearing what, what people are texting, from listening as people are calling, from sharing with the elders and the staff, from seeing people's faces and hearing their thoughts on some of the Zoom calls that we have been having, I know there are a lot of people in our church and a lot of people in our community who have felt like this. Has God forgotten to be merciful? Will this pandemic go on forever? Is God going to show up and, and show his favor? So I thought it was incredibly appropriate for, for my emotions and for hopefully some of the way that some of you have felt to begin here. Now, the writer ends up dealing with what he's going through and finding himself in the place that I hope we find ourselves at the end of this message. But in order to get there, all right, in order to get there, he... Um, lets us in on where his thoughts went. So we are supposed to, to dwell upon the scriptures. We are supposed to dwell upon the Lord, all right? We are supposed to think about who he is and, and the works that he has done. Now, the people of the Old Testament, they would have been very uh, attuned to, very identified with, very much have memorized and studied um, the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They would have studied it for historical purposes. They would have studied it for family lineage purposes. They would have studied it because they are, in fact, the chosen ones, the children of God. They would have 
paid attention. And so it's obvious that this psalmist had dwelled on that. But when we get to this next section, it's going to be a little bit, little bit odd because until you understand what he's talking about, it just seems out of place. Here's what it says in Psalm 77 and verse 16. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and they writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. So God is describing this situation where there are massive amounts of, of, of things that only the, the creator controls going on. Nature is, is having a fit, all right? And, and we have no idea what is going on here until we get to the end of the story. And at the end of the story, we realize that God is speaking about an experience that his children, his people had, all right, and they had it during the time of Moses and Aaron, all right? So I need to take you there. When God's people were, were at one of their lowest times, they were in exile in Egypt, all right? And God called Moses out of the desert and sent him back to Egypt to save the people and bring them out of bondage and out from under the hand of Pharaoh, all right? So uh, Moses goes in and, and God absolutely um, works through these 10 plagues and uh, Pharaoh finally lets the people go and literally thousands upon thousands of slaves of the Hebrew children of, of God's people who were enslaved and worked for the longest time are now set free and they are making their way out of Egypt, all right? So they're uh, running as fast as thousands upon tens of thousands of people can move with children and elderly and families and they're out of bondage. So this is a good thing. And they're moving away from what enslaved them. And that is a good thing. And they are just now beginning to feel good uh, about their lives and, and about their freedoms and about their leaders. And they are moving forward. All right. Now what happens next is Pharaoh gathers his giant army and he sends this army after the people. So the army begins to chase down the people, all right? And the people are just moving, and they're moving, and they're moving, and then they come to the Red Sea. Now, I don't know that we understand this when, when, we, when we read the story, but they didn't come to a pond. That's not what happened. They didn't even come to a lake. Uh, local for us, you know, Lake, lake Harrington, it, it's, it's good size, all right? It, it's big, and it's uh, one of the deeper lakes in Kentucky, all right? But, but it's, it's not, you know, it's not monstrous. It's not ocean-like. Now, when they came to the Red Sea, this is a large body of water. This is not something that you 
come anywhere close to, to trying to, to swim across or, or, or walk all, all the way around. They get to this body of water and these tens upon thousands of people stop, all right? And you have to understand that not far behind them is an army that is either going to kill them and or capture them and take them back into bondage. And so they immediately go, what is it that we're going to do? And they start pointing fingers. I shouldn't have listened to you and I shouldn't have listened to you. And then they start blaming leaders. Why did you bring us up out of here? And they start whining about exactly what they had been celebrating about just moments or hours or days or or weeks before because they've run into this place and, and they're looking at the waves crash on the shore and they're thinking about the clouds that are rolling in and they're thinking about the army that is coming up behind them and they are absolutely in despair and there is a chaos that is ensuing in their hearts and in their minds and, and they have no idea what's going on. But in a very poetic way, here's what the, the psalmist uh, says about this situation. While the people were, 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 were living and were feeling the chaos all around them. Listen, he says, the waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and they writhed. The very depths were convulsed. And the first thing that the writer realizes in his despair is this. The waters writhed and the deaths convulsed. When the people came up on the Red Sea and they looked at the waves and they saw the wind and they began to watch the clouds roll in and the army come in, all hope was lost. All they could see was, was their children uh, being swept away, was their own lives being swept away, was their bodies being drained to the bottom. And God hadn't given them a way across and God hadn't put a boat out there and God hadn't put uh, anything out there. And, and, and so they couldn't see it and they were afraid. These waters represented uh, the end of their life as they knew it, the end of their freedom. Listen. That which causes fear and or chaos in us fears God more. Have you ever um, seen a child when there's um, um, some kind of critter, some kind of insect, come, some kind of, of animal, and, and, and a, a, a parent will say something like, hey, it's more afraid of you than, than you are of it, or hey, it, it, it's tiny, it, it won't eat that much, or you know, if you don't bother it, it doesn't bother you? Well, in the same way, Sometimes that may be true, that may be, be not true, but in that same manner, this is how God looks down on things and looks at us. He's seeing the people now in chaos and now their emotions just in an uproar. But what they seem to have forgotten is that which they are most afraid of fears God more. Do you understand that poetically what the psalmist is saying is the waters that the people were staring at weren't looking back at the people. They were watching God. And as God's hand began to move, the waters shook, the waters feared, the waters trembled, they writhed. And it wasn't just on the surface where we can see. He goes deeper. 
the very depths were convulsed. This shaking, this moving of God on the waters was going all the way into the depths. And as you recall, as God began to powerfully move the waters, he didn't move the surface. He moved them all the way to the land and separated those waters so that his people could go through. That which we fear Fears God. He is supremely powerful over all things. Financial markets. Disease. Emotional overload. Storms. That which we fear. Fears God. Do you remember in Matthew even the disciples, even those close to him, the men were amazed after he had been asleep in a storm that scared even professional fishermen. And Jesus came and commanded the wind and the waves. And in Matthew chapter 8, it says, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. There isn't anything that is outside of the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient power, mind, person of God. And when we look at our situation, we tend to forget that. The second thing that the psalmist learned, all right? The second thing that he learned, all right, was this. And I want to read from verses 17 and 18. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. All of the forces of the universe are under the hand of God. So no matter who thinks they have the money, it's God's money. No matter who thinks they have the power, it's God's power. And understanding this changes everything. I want to look in the Gospels, particularly the Gospel of John, at one of the worst moments, one of the, the, the most horrific moments in the life of Jesus when he was led away from that garden, when he was beaten, when he was scourged, when he was spat upon, when he was thrown at when he had to carry his, his particular cross. During this whole 24 hours, he was put on display and put on trial before Pilate. And I want you to listen to these words. This is in John chapter 19, verses 10 and 11. And it plays right in to our understanding of lack or lack of understanding that God in every situation has ultimate power and authority over both good and evil. Listen, Pilate says, Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, Don't you realize that I have the power 
to either free you or crucify you. Jesus wasn't speaking out for himself. He wasn't laying blame. He wasn't making excuses. He simply stood where he needed to stand and he kept his mouth shut. And then Pilate says, don't you know that I have the power to free you or crucify you? Jesus' response is unbelievable, but we need to believe. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Pilate, you really don't have the power you think you have because even all of this, as horrible as it is, is right in the plan of an overwhelming, almighty, merciful, and loving God. You too, Pilate, with your power and authority, are simply a pawn, as was Judas, in a plan that man cannot understand. And that's where we go next. We see clouds. We see storms. We, we, we try to study and we try to get the science of it. But at the end of the day, we have no idea. We cannot fathom the things that God sees and the things that God knows. The third thing that the psalmist learned, all right? First, that which causes fear or chaos fears God. Second, all of the forces of life are instruments of God, both the good and the ones that seem evil, all right? But, but this one, the, the, this idea, this idea just pierced my heart and, 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 and <laughs> oh, verse 19, after the sea trembled and after the depths were ordered and after the clouds and the wind rolled it back. Psalm 77, 19, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. Listen, listen again, because this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. When we didn't know he was there, he was there. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. We've been singing it, but do we buy it? When these people were led out, not out of their own power, by God's power. When the plagues came to set them free, it wasn't their power. It was God's power. When they were able to move and were given a leader in Moses, it wasn't Moses's power or their power. It was God's power. And he is always working together for the good and here is number three the inability to understand God's work is not a sign that he is not at work Woo! the inability to understand his work is not a sign that he is not at work we we as human beings have grown so self-sufficient and and so self 
intellectual and so smart that we are actually too big for our britches. We need to understand and we need to know and we need an explanation for everything. But an explanation for everything has two problems. One, we are not capable of understanding it. And two, it removes faith. And for it is by grace we are saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is a gift lest any man should boast. Listen. Even if God wanted or thought he should explain to us, even if there was some validation for us needing the God of the universe to let us in on the secrets, he can't, shouldn't, and won't. Listen to Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We have got to get off our high horse. We have got to stop with the need to have all of the answers and all of the explanations and the need to tell everybody else exactly what they want to know, need to know, or think you need for them to know what they need to know. we got to stop with the nonsense and start with the Almighty. His ways are higher than our ways. I want to say it one more time. The inability to understand that God is at work is not a sign that He is not at work. He wasn't thinking about going over. He wasn't thinking about going under. He wasn't thinking about going around the Red Sea ever. No matter what everybody else thought they should do, God was always going to take them through. And it was going to be when they got to the other side that they finally understood why. They marched their way through these mighty walls of water, fear enveloping and encompassing them, even though the hands of God were holding those waters back. And they got to the other side as the army raced through to chase them down, inciting more fear in them. And when and the last Israelite got across and Moses raised that rod again. The sea enveloped and consumed and obeyed the Lord God and wiped out the army which chased down his children. Mm. God was always working things for good of his people whether they understood it or not. We've got to humble ourselves. Stop with what we think we might be privileged about and be thankful that God is who He says He is. God will do what He says He will do. Through was the plan all along. Not just escape, but freeing His people and wiping out their enemies. And when we get to the end of this section, the psalmist lets us in on, on, on a little secret. He tells us where uh, the story had come from, which I have already explained, but I want you to listen to what it says. You led your people like a flock. 
you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. God was doing then. God did do through the scripture. And God is doing now exactly what he said he would do. And he's doing it as he described he would. As the great shepherd. As the shepherd over the sheep. The sheep wouldn't know where to find grass. Lest the shepherd lead them. Those sheep wouldn't know the wolves were coming. Lest the shepherd guide them. Those sheep wouldn't know where to go and how to get there. Lest the great shepherd guide them. Protect them. Provide for them. And that is what the great shepherd is doing for us. And we can say it all we want to, but do we buy in? The Lord is my shepherd, so I shall not want. It is he that makes me or causes me to lie down in green pastures. When I sleep good, when I, when I feel comfort, it's because of him. He leads me beside the still waters. When I enjoy peace, it's because of him. He restores my soul. When I am lifted up, it is because of him. He leads me into the path of righteousness. Why? For his sake. It's not about us. This life is about bringing glory to God. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Are we afraid? Is fear catching up to us? Or can we reach out and know that thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me? Do you know that right behind you, right in front of you, right beside you, right there with you is the great shepherd leading you in the valleys of the shadow of death? And you should fear no evil, just like he's leading you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We've got to buy in to who God is all the time. Because even in the worst of times, he is the best of God. He is the Almighty. He is the Savior. He is the one true God. He is the great shepherd. And that is what the writer figured out. That is what the writer came to even in the depths, even in the misery. When he thought about God, when he recognized that all of nature bows before him, when he recognized that chaos is not chaotic for God, when he recognized that whether he understood or not, God was and is who he says he is, here's what he said. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God. Preston's going to come, and we are going to meditate on those words. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? How great is our God? Sing with me. How great is our God? And all will see 
by our obedience, by our faith, by our trust, bringing glory to him. How great, how great is our God.